Thank you, Bert. Thank you, Sally. Great job as always, and good morning to all of you. Could you turn your Bibles to Obadiah verse 1? Uh, t- this uh, next Sunday will be our final class at Obadiah. Today we'll be looking at verses uh, 18 and 19, and then next week we finish off our study of Obadiah in verses 19 and, and, uh, and 21, and uh, 20 and 21, excuse me. And, um, and then after Obadiah, we're going to be doing uh, second and third John. We'll do those books in a row. And they're very short, probably take us, uh, I think, three weeks in each of those. But, uh, and then we'll go back to the Old Testament. But, uh, and this week, uh, this Wednesday, we'll be finishing up our study on the doctrine of inspiration. And uh, we'll be starting a, a four-hour study on inerrancy uh, the week after that. So we finish off inspiration uh, this, uh, this week on Wednesday. And, uh, you know, it's funny how it was nice and cool when I come in here. It's like, you know, he has it set for it's really nice and toasty in here, which if you go to my uh, house, it's like really cold. <laughs> so it's, I remember when we were at Bob's place and uh, he used to set it really cold with the cl- having the classes and you'd have the girls in like, you know, sh- shawls and like sweaters in the middle of the sun because he'd jack up the, uh, the air conditioning. And his thing was like, you know, if it gets too warm, everybody's going to go fall asleep on it. So it was so funny. So that's what he used to do, but it, was, it used to crack up. And uh, he used to give the girls a hard time. So uh, good morning to all of you. Remember, we have the Lord's Supper today. And we'll have that at the end of uh, service as we do the first Sunday of each month. And, uh, and also, just, a, uh, just, just so you FYI, if you don't know this already, you know, if you Google, um, you Google this church, it'll, 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 it'll pop up uh, the, uh, uh, not only... Uh, the information about this church, its address, but also you'll, if it's, you hit website, it'll go to our website, and you know it has. The, I have the address for this place here. So I've been in Western Bible Ministries. I actually broadcast and tell people if you're in the in Huntsville area, come on over. So uh, so it just so uh, you, uh, so you're aware of that, so you can do that. So anyway, so that's uh, that's all the announcements I really have, and uh, the less announcements, the better. And uh, so let's uh, uh, take our. Um, Prepare ourselves to hear the Word of God. Remember, when we come here to uh, hear the Word of God, we're, we're actually trying to come here to listen to what God has to say, through the communication of the Word of God. Um, he has graciously given men with the gift to pass the teacher to, uh, to be his mouthpiece. And uh, it's kind of a, it's, it, kind of, it's, it's a humbling thing, as Pastor Peek will tell you. And, uh, you know, he's like, you know, God, why me? You know, it's like, and I was... Um, so it's a, I consider this a great honor to teach God's people and, uh, and, and uh, the Word of God. And, you know, I was just thinking about the other day, about a year ago today, I visited uh, you all for the first time. And I remember that, uh, uh, that uh, weekend very well. So um, and it's, it's, here we are a year later. You're, you're still, you still haven't thrown me out in the street yet, thank God. You still haven't got sick of me yet. Some people probably already have. But, you know, I'm a, good, I'm a good example of practicing the love of God when you're around a guy like me. So, anyways, uh, so uh, let's take that moment of silent prayer. This is our custom. We take a moment of silent prayer to examine ourselves to determine if we're in fellowship with God because any mental, verbal, overactive sin that we knowingly commit will cause us to lose fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, 1 John 1, 9 states, If we confess our sins to the Father, He, God, the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, He purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. Now, um, we maintain that fellowship, of course, by obeying the Spirit who speaks to us through the Scriptures which He's inspired, and that's when we're obeying those commands of Ephesians 5.18 
and Colossians 3.16, to let the word, uh, be filled with the Spirit and let the Word of Christ richly dwell in our souls, respectively. So, if there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing and distracting you, we, of course, we live in the devil's world. We're sinners. The people around us are sinners. The people at work are sinners. There's a devil who is making war against the church, even as we speak. In fact, uh, I will tell you right now, uh, what Satan really goes after, he doesn't care about the people down at the strip bar or the bar down here at uh, Tyne went on. He really is making an effort to go after the church and try to stop the church from hearing the word of God. He really is. He's, read Ephesians 6, 10 through uh, 19, and he will do anything he can to stop you and me from going forward in God's plan by not only hearing God's word, but putting it into practice. So with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. We thank you, Father, for this beautiful day and the warm weather here. And uh, we're just uh, looking forward to the change of uh, into spring, into some of the warm weather. I just thank you, Father, for your logistical grace blessings for another day. The food, shelter, clothing, the homes that we have, the friendships and families that we have. And uh, we just thank you, Father, for the freedoms that we have in this country that we often take uh, for granted and, and all, all the luxuries that we have, you know, central air and all kinds of stuff and indoor plumbing where it wasn't too long ago that uh, people didn't have these things. So I just thank you, Father, for placing us in the greatest period in human history and the greatest nation in human history, uh, the United States of America. And I just, we lift up our leaders at this time, President Biden and his cabinet, the executive, judicial, legislative branches of our federal, state, local governments and military, and also those involved in covert operations, paramilitary organizations like the police. And uh, we just pray for them. And you pray, we pray that you give our leaders the wisdom and the moral courage to lead this country, expose those in our government, all levels, uh, to the gospel for those who are not Christians and those who are Christians. I just pray, Father, that you would uh, um, uh, give them the word of God. And I also pray raise up more people with establishment principles and uh, that understand uh, these principles and can put them into practice and uh, to help this nation go forward. I also uh, thank you for each person that is here uh, this morning and those who might be the many people who are ill and uh, in our congregation and several people that I know. So I lift them up in their health and uh, issues that they're uh, uh, facing and experiencing and I pray you would heal them. And I also thank you for those who have made it out here this morning. I think of each and every person. I pray that each person today that by the power of the Spirit, they'll be able to understand your word as it's being taught, help them to concentrate and to make application of what they're being taught and to enjoy what they're being taught. And uh, I just pray that, uh, that they not only receive the necessary spiritual nourishment, but they would stand in awe of you and your great plan for the ages and your great plan of salvation. I also pray that you would help me as your instrument and uh, before you, your son, the Holy Spirit, and the elect angels, to communicate your full counsel today to your people with accuracy and clarity, reverence, respect, and power so that all of us can continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, your Son, who we worship here. So, Father, we pray for this service in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. 
In the first session, we'll be looking at Obadiah verse 18, uh, which teaches us that in the future, future to the rapture of the church, the northern and southern kingdoms will reunite to destroy the nation of Edom. Quickly, by way of review, uh, the, uh, this book is directed uh, toward the nation of Edom. Uh, remember, Edom was the uh, descendants of Esau and Jacob. His descendants were uh, the nation of Israel. Of course, Israel had a civil war after Solomon's death, and they were split into northern and southern kingdoms. The northern kingdom went out under discipline in 722 BC at the hands of the Assyrian Empire, and they never returned. The southern kingdom, composed of only Judah and Benjamin, those tribes, they went out uh, in uh, 605, 597, and 586 BC. They were attacked by Babylon. God used Babylon's empire to uh, to destroy it and deport the people to, for 70 years in Babylon. And he also used Nebuchadnezzar's uh, hordes to uh, basically uh, judge the the un, un, the, non, uh, the unregenerate inhabitants of the Mesopotamian and Mediterranean regions of the world in the 6th century BC. So God was upset with Edom. This was a prophecy, the first 16 verses of this particular prophecy. Uh, they were fulfilled in history uh, with uh, the destruction of Edom. And so uh, this was God did this because the Edomites were blood relatives to the Jews. And so he did not like what they did in helping Babylon uh, defeat the southern kingdom of Judah. They should have had their hands off of it, but they didn't. And as we pointed out, no other nation in Scripture has more prophecies directed against it than the nation of Edom. As we'll, I pointed out to you in the past, and I'll talk to you about it today, probably in the first, maybe in the second session as well, but uh, Daniel chapter 11, verses 36 through the end of that chapter, which is all prophetic and talks about the 70th week of Daniel and the character and actions of Antichrist, you see that Edom is existing at that time. So it's, looks, it appears that like the nation of Israel, which was not a national entity, had no geographical boundaries, uh, that was, uh, they were scattered throughout the world and for 2,000 years since uh, AD 70, but in 1948 they became a nation again with the help of the United States of America, which is one of the reasons why been, we've been blessed since World War II. So Edom, it appears, is going to be resurrected as a nation. She'll be around during the, the, the 70th week of Daniel. So as we're going to see, the prophecies that we're going to be reading about and we read about last week uh, are future to the rapture, the resurrection of the church, which triggers the day of the Lord, the eschatological day of the Lord, when you have the tribulation period, or the, we can call the 70th week of Daniel, the second advent of Christ that closes it, and the second advent of Christ brings in the millennial reign, his millennial reign. For a thousand years, he'll rule over this earth with Israel as head of the nations. So we see that uh, that uh, the, this, these prophecies in verses 18 and 19 are yet future to be fulfilled. So I always like to say, if God fulfilled these prophecies against Edom in, uh, in the first 16 verses in the 6th century B.C., in minute detail, I think he can fulfill the prophecies that are found in verses 17 through 21 of Obadiah. What's also interesting, we talked about this last week as well, what we're seeing in these prophecies in verses 17 through 21 of the future of Israel, that there's going to be a national regeneration and restoration of Israel to the land. Now, it's very important you understand this. Israel being brought back into the land since 1948, but they're going to have one, one final dispersion which will take place during the tribulation period. Uh, remember, Israel makes a treaty uh, with the Antichrist. The, the, he's going to be a, a ruler of a ten-nation European confederacy. 
and he's going to come out of Rome. Daniel 9, 26 and 27 makes that clear. He's a Gentile. And so he goes, he's going to come out of the Roman Empire, and Roman Empire is going to be resurrected. You call it the final stage of the Roman Empire, which is depicted on the feet of the Nebuchadnezzar's image in Daniel chapter 2, and the ten horns and the little horn, and the fourth beast in Daniel chapter 7. So, we see that, uh, that uh, uh, Antichrist makes a treaty with Israel, Daniel 9.27, and then three and a half years into it, okay, 1260 days, we see that Antichrist breaks the treaty and he comes into the temple and declares himself gone. In fact, he sits on the cher- between the cherubim on the mercy seat. And also, the false prophet will promote the worship of the Antichrist by erecting an image that he'll have come to life and people will worship that image. That's the abomination that'll be standing that Matthew talks about, Jesus talks about in his Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. He says, when you see that, then you need to run for the hills, the Jews. And so that'll be the final dispersion. There'll be a small remnant, according to Zechariah 12 and 14 of Jews, that will stay in the city of Jerusalem and fight all the way to the second advent of Christ. There's a small pocket of them. But most of the Jews will be dispersed throughout the world at that time. And then when Christ comes back at a second advent, not only will you have elect angels uh, bringing many regenerate Jews back uh, to Israel to be, uh, see the Messiah, but there will also be many Gentiles that will believe in Christ at that time, and they will be bringing these Jews, these regenerate Jews, back to the land of Israel, for, and then they'll, they'll never return, uh, never leave there again. So the Jews are facing one final great dispersion during the tribulation period. But what we're talking about here today in verses 18 and 19 of Obadiah is during this, uh, the, the second, it's going to take place during the second advent of Christ in his millennial reign. Israel will be restored to the land. The church is not the new Israel, as many erroneously say. Uh, the church is distinct from Israel. The church has two races, regenerate Jews and Gentiles. The nation of Israel, the remnant of Israel that will reign with Christ, they're only one race, the Jews. But both Jew and Gentiles will be rejoicing and worshiping Jesus during his millennial reign. In fact, the church, you and I, are going to be the bride of Christ during that time. And the Old Testament saints and tribulational martyrs are friends of the bridegroom. So you are an absolutely blessed, graced out people because of the status that you've been given. And uh, it's all grace. We didn't earn it or deserve it. It pleased God to take people like you and me and make them members of the body of Christ to reign with Christ as his bride. So we're going to be looking at verse 18 in the first session uh, that in the future the northern and southern kingdoms will reunite to destroy the nation of Edom. So let's look at uh, Obadiah verse 1, and what we'll do is we normally do, as we'll read the, fir- the whole book, which is only one chapter long, and then look at verse 18 for the rest of the session. So Obadiah verse 1 says, and again I'm reading the, the, from the NIV for those who are on the podcast and the website, the vision of Obadiah, this is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord, an envoy was sent to the nations to say, rise, let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You'll be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who could bring me down to the ground? A reference to their geographical location. And uh, then it says in verse 4, though you soar like the eagle 
and make your nest among the stars, again referenced in their uh, advantageous geographical location which served as a deterrent for uh, foreign armies attacking her. And so though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, Oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. And that day declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, those of understanding in the mountains of Esau? Your warriors, Teman, will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be, be uh, covered with shame, and you will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor gloat over them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. The first nine, uh, first nine verses uh, were t speaking of the prophecy against Edom and her destruction, and then verses 10 through 14, as we pointed out, contain nine uh, indictments which serve as the basis for this prophetic judgment. Verse 15, the day of the Lord is near for all the nations. All the nations that took part in the invasion of the southern kingdom of Judah and were allies with Babylon. So as you've done, it will be done to you. And this was all fulfilled in history to Babylon and the people who attacked Judah. Your deeds will return upon your own head. And then it says, just as you drank on my holy hill, and he's talking about drinking of the wrath of God, the cup of God's wrath, so all the nations will drink continually and they will drink and drink and be as if they've never been. They no longer will be national entities anymore. Where is Babylon today? And where are those various nations that took place, took part in that invasion of the southern kingdom of Judah? They no longer exist as national entities, people. Now verse 17 to the end of the book is prophetic. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy. And the Temple Mount is not holy right now because the Gentiles and the, temp uh, the Muslim mosque is up there. So it's, it's been defiled. And so it's going to be holy when Christ uh, makes it holy at his second advent in millennial kingdom. So, But on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy. And Jacob will possess his inheritance. And Jacob will be a fire and Joseph a flame. Esau will be stubble. And they will set him on fire and destroy him. Him. There will be no survivors from Esau. The Lord has spoken. People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau, and people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. This company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarephath, and the exiles from Jerusalem who are in Sepharad will possess the towns of the Negev. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion, to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. That's all talking about the millennial kingdom and the restoration of the nation of Israel, regenerate Israel, to the land that has been promised to her, her forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, if I could, let me give you my translation of verse 18, our verse in the first session here. In fact, Jacob's descendants will, as a certainty, possess the characteristic quality of fire, and even Joseph's descendants will certainly possess the characteristic quality of a flame. And then he says, however, 
In contrast, Esau's descendants will, as a certainty, possess the characteristic quality of straw. Therefore, they will certainly burn them so as to consume them. Consequently, absolutely no remnant will exist with regards to Esau's descendants. Indeed, the Lord has issued the decree. But if you look at the very first statement in verse 18 in your Bibles in the NIV, it says Jacob will be a fire. That's asserting that Jacob's descendants, the southern kingdom of Judah in context, would be the instrument of God's judgment. Or in other words, they would be the instrument by which God would exercise his wrath or righteous indignation against the Edomites. And this is indicated, this interpretation is indicated by the fact that destruction by fire in the Old Testament always referred to divine punishment. Or in other words, it referred to God exercising his wrath, which is his righteous indignation, his legitimate anger towards sin against an individual or a nation. We see this in Exodus 15, 7, and with Pharaoh, and Deuteronomy 28, 24, Lamentations 1, 13, and Psalm 18, 8. Now listen to me. The people who received this prophecy were, were primarily directed toward the, the, the faithful remnant that was in Babylon. Okay? They were in Babylon. And basically God's saying, you're looking for justice, I'm going to treat those Babylonians and the Edomites the way they treated you. Okay, So remember, they suffered by association with the apostates in their own nation. And for 70 years they were deported. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we've been pointing out. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they didn't do it. They, didn't, it, they, they were punished. Uh, uh, they were suffered along with these people, and yet they're not the ones that brought this destruction upon the nation. They were faithful, but they were such a small pocket of them. Okay, So they, they were in Babylon for 70 years, and so when they received this prophecy, and Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah, as we pointed out, 49 verses 7 through 23, echoes it. So they were contemporaries, Jeremiah and Obadiah, of course. And so this would have been encouragement to them. And also, think about this, it's also an encouragement to them in the sense that God still has a future for them. As we left off last week in the, the New Covenant, if you read the New Covenant in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34, after that, which talks about the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Spirit, after that, it says that the nation of Israel will always exist. In emphatic terms, God says this through Jeremiah. So the remnant of Israel, the faithful remnant, the regenerate remnant, they would be finding great comfort and encouraged by, encouragement by hearing these words. This prophecy of Edomite's judgment tells them that God was intervening in their lives. And that's called the imminency of God. You know, too many times we think of the transcendency of God, which he, you know, if you look at the time out of space continuum which we're in, uh, it's like a box. God's outside the box, but he's also in the box. That's the imminency of God. So God is involved in our lives, and the Holy Spirit through Obadiah is trying to tell this faithful remnant that's sitting in Babylon, that there is a future for the nation. I will pro I'm making you a promise. I will fulfill this promise. So God's saying this is what's going to happen in the future. Because this, this is a warning for all the nations of God going to do something, and he's going to do a mighty work, and he's going to establish his kingdom on the earth. It is not on this earth right now functioning because Satan is temporary God of this world. So when Obadiah speaks of God's dis uh, Jacob's descendants, He's referring to the southern kingdom of Judah in context. Why? Because the northern kingdom at that time, when this was written, no longer existed as a result of being destroyed in 722 B.C. 
as a national entity by the Assyrian Empire. And those who survived the Assyrian invasion were all deported from the land. So therefore, only the descendants of Jacob who remained in the land in Obadiah's day and age in the 6th century BC was the southern kingdom. Now, when it says in your, your Bibles, it says, Jacob will be a fire and Joseph a flame. Joseph a flame, it's actually what we call an ascensive clause. It means it's out of the ordinary in unexpected. Why? Because the, the, uh, the Joseph was a, t a designation for the northern kingdom. They've been deported for over 100 years, and they never returned to the land. So Joseph, when it says Joseph is a flame, it's out of the ordinary, it's unexpected, because Joseph's descendants, as I said before, is a reference to the northern kingdom of Israel, which was no longer a national entity when this was written. And uh, since they were destroyed by Assyria in 722 BC. So, what you see in Scripture, the house of Joseph is a common designation in the Old Testament for the northern kingdom of Israel. Isaiah chapter 11, 12 through 14 uses the term Joseph that way. Hosea 1 11, uh, Ezekiel 37, 15 through 23, and Zechariah chapter 10, verse 6. So, these 10 tribes, which separated from the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, after the death of Solomon, and which formed the southern kingdom of Judah, were also referred to by the name Ephraim, who was Joseph's son. So you, a lot of times the northern kingdom will be designated with the term Ephraim or uh, uh, Joseph, speaking of Joseph and his son. Now the second, now this second prophetic declaration that Joseph is aflame uh, makes clear that the nation of Israel will be reunited in the future and will destroy Edom as a national entity. That would have been great encouragement to them. They, they had a civil war after the death of Solomon, which was the result of Solomon's apostasy. And Solomon didn't, God didn't want to break up the nation while Solomon was alive, only because of his father David. So he took the kingdom away from Rehoboam, he gave him Judah and Benjamin, and the rest went north, and they said, we'll have nothing to do with you. And that's because he listened to his younger counselors, Rehoboam did, to raise the taxes even more. And the older advisors under Solomon said, don't do that. He didn't listen to the older, wiser crowd, and so he paid the price. But that was God's doing. He wanted that to happen, and he wanted this civil war to take place. But now we see in Obadiah that God is predicting. He's telling them in advance that Israel will be reunited. There'll be no northern and southern kingdom. And then it says in verse, if you look at verse uh, 18 again in your Bibles, Excuse me. It says, Jacob will be a fire, and Joseph a flame. And then it says, Esau will be stubble. So Esau will be a stubble is, a, is presenting a contrast. And I bring that out in my translation uh, by using the word however before it. Esau will be a stubble presents a contrast with the previous two prophetic declarations. And it predicts that Esau's descendants, the nation of Edom, will as a certainty possess the characteristic quality of straw. So the contrast is thus between the nation of Israel being the instrument of God's wrath in the future and the Edomites being the object of this wrath. The tables will be turned. You know, this is, you see this all throughout Scripture. In fact, it says, uh, the, um, uh, you know, even in, in Jesus in his teaching, he talks about this. You know, uh, the, you know, those who are nothing now will be something in the future. We, like, for instance, in the church age, we, like the apostles, they were considered as the offscouring of the earth Christians were. And, in many, and even in our country now, we're considered, we're not very well liked in this nation in the postmodern era of America. 
uh, we become we become the minority, and we've been looked at as holding people back from having some fun because uh, we we you know said this is sin, you know homosexuality is sin, or, or you know and all that stuff going on. And so they this is why we become enemies of the culture. Well, you know one day we don't look like much now, but we are the sons of God. And when Christ comes back at a second advent with us, the church, in our resurrection bodies and decorated with rewards for faithful service in this life, we will light up the earth. They, you won't, it'll be, remember when Christ comes back at a second advent with us, there'll be neither day nor light. You don't need it because we will illuminate the earth. Christ and his church and the elect angels and Old Testament saints and tribulational martyrs coming back with him. So we are, look like nothing, but then we actually in reality we will be something we are something but it has not been seen yet what we really are it's the same thing with Jesus in his first advent they didn't recognize him as the son of God but now one day they're going to see that he was he was crucified in weakness we follow in his footsteps we suffer many times undeservedly and like he did we're not above our master if he suffered we will suffer at times as well and so therefore but we have a great promise. Just as he was rewarded by the Father to his, uh, for being faithful in his undeserved suffering and, his, and, and, and do executing the salvation plan for mankind, so he will reward his, ch his children, the bride of Christ, his bride, uh, with rewards and decorations for faithful service. So be encouraged. Don't grow weary of doing good. Now it says they, Esau will be set, uh, be set on fire by uh, Joseph and the descendants of Jacob. So that is presenting, if you look at verse 18 again, it says Jacob will be be a fire, Joseph a flame, Esau will be a, a stubble in contrast, and the result will be that they, Jacob and Joseph, will set him, Esau, on fire. So when it says they will set him on fire, that presents an inference from the first three perfect de declarations, and it declares that Jacob and Joseph's descendants will reunite and they will burn Esau's descendants. Since Jacob and Joseph's descendants are described as possessing the characteristic qualities of fire and a flame of fire, respectively, and Esau's like straw, we can infer that Jacob and Joseph's descendants will burn Esau's descendants. And then it says in verse 18, they will destroy him. That's the fifth prophetic declaration, and it presents the result of the fourth prophetic declaration, and it asserts that Jacob and Joseph's descendants will consume Esau's descendants, that phrase, and destroy him. It's expressing the idea, people, that Esau's descendants will be consumed by Jacob and Joseph's descendants, the reunited nation of Israel during the second advent of Christ, which means that Jacob and Joseph's descendants will destroy Esau's descendants or exterminate them, exterminate them so that none exists. So this is indicated by the sixth prophetic declaration. And so the northern kingdom and the southern kingdoms will be reunited in the future and will be used by God to exercise his righteous indignation against the nation of the Edom so as to destroy her as a national entity. And then it says in your text, it says again, look with me in verse 18, Jacob will be a fire and Joseph a flame, Esau will be stubble and they will set him on fire and destroy him. And then it says... There will be no survivors from Esau, the Lord has spoken. So when it says there at the end, there'll be no survivors from Esau, that's presenting the result of the fifth prophetic declaration. And it's expressing the idea that it's very emphatic in the Hebrew, it's absolutely no remnant 
will exist with regards to Esau's descendants as a result of Jacob and Joseph's descendants, consuming them like fire destroys straw. In other words, people, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Israel, or Judah, excuse me, will reunite in the future and as a, as a national entity, and it also expresses God's sovereign will and righteous indignation towards the nation of Edom. Furthermore, it also expresses his great love and concern for the nation of Israel. He's watching over Israel always. Uh, in fact, there's only one elect angel that's ruling over a nation on the face of the earth at this time. Everybody's under the command, including our United States, under Satan and his fallen angels. Only Israel. And they have Michael, the elect angel, who's the guardian over the nation of Israel. Even when she was in exile, after the Roman invasions in 1970 AD, for those 2,000 years until 1948, Michael was and his elect angels were keeping an eye on the, 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 the remnant of Israel that was scattered throughout the earth. So, the Lord has spoken. When it says the Lord has spoken, that emphatically expresses people. The Lord's determination to destroy Edom in the future as a national entity, which implies that they will be a, 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 a national entity in the future because they don't exist as a national entity today since the 6th century BC. Okay? So the Lord has spoken. It's emphatically asserted, expressing, there's a principle here called faith that we're going to talk about. The Lord has spoken emphatically, expresses the Lord's determination to destroy Edom in the future as a national entity, and it also expresses God's sovereign will and, again, his righteous indignation towards the nation of Edom and his love for the nation of Israel. God says something's going to happen. It, you say, "How can't I, I can't imagine that being the case, you know? But when God says something's going to happen, it's done. It's going to happen. In fact, in this text, in verses 17 through 21, you have what we call prophetic perfects in the verbs here, which means it's, they're expressing the certainty that these things will take place. And we got them in this passage in verse 18. Count on it. Okay, so here they are sitting in exile in Babylon, the, the believing remnant. And the, God's telling them this. They have to have faith. They have to exercise faith. I believe what you say that's going to happen, God, even though the northern kingdom is, where are they? They're dispersed throughout the Mesopotamian, Mediterranean regions of the world. We don't even know where all our Jewish brothers are, our countrymen. You know, it's just a small remnant that survived the Babylonian invasions, and we're decimated. We have this little, little remnant here, and it doesn't look like much. But when God says something, it will come to pass. If God says there'll be an Edom during the tribulation period, there will be one. If God says that we will reign with Christ for a thousand years, it's going to happen. Rejoice, be encouraged when you go through your trials and tribulations and your sicknesses and your problems and your difficulties. Re go back to what God's word says. Faith, it's the fight of faith. The devil wants to put doubts in your mind and make you feel bad and make you discouraged and depressed and make you look at yourself and look at your circumstances. Don't do it. Listen to what God says. Get your confidence and your self-esteem and your personal sense of destiny. Every single one of you should have a personal destiny. I don't care who you are. You are somebody because Christ has died for you. And you're in union with Jesus Christ. And rejoice. We're going to witness 
this destruction of the nation of Edom. In fact, all of Christ's enemies, we will be coming back with him and watching this, it says in, in, in Revelation 19 and 20. But see, Edom's going to exist again. Hold your place. Go now. Hold your place. Go to Daniel's, the book of Daniel. And look at Daniel chapter 11, please. Verse 36. Daniel eleven thirty six. Daniel chapter 11, look at verse 36. The first 35 verses have been fulfilled in perfect accuracy in history. We'll do this book sometime and I'll show you this. It's mind-boggling. But when we get to verse 36, things change. They're all future. The, the, verse, the verses from the, right from the very end, from 36 to the end of chapter 11, are all prophetic. Speaking, describing the character and actions of the Antichrist during the tribulation period, the 70th week of Daniel, in particular, the last three and a half years of the 70th week, which is called by Jesus in his, in his Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 as the tribu Great Tribulation, okay? Which ends with the second advent to Christ, which establishes the millennial reign of Christ on the earth. So look at Daniel chapter 11, verse 36, please. Daniel eleven thirty-six. 36. Now... Before we go any further, the king of the south and the king of the north are very big in this. In context, uh, the king of the, the south, in the first 35 verses, talked about uh, Egypt. And then the Seleucid Empire, uh, which, remember, uh, Alexander the Great, when he died, his four generals took over. And then you had, this, the, uh, there was a group that, one, uh, one of those generals, he presided over Egypt, and the other ones were to, uh, took, uh, went over to Syria, what we call Syria today. And so they were called the Northern Kingdom, okay? The king of the north in this passage is not talking about Russia, okay? He's, he's talked about, Russia's talked about Ezekiel 38, 39 for sure, okay? But here, in context, it has to be talking about Syria that we know today, where Syria is today. The, kingdom, the king of the north. So it says in verse 36, the king, and this is the antichrist now, will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god, and he will say unheard of things against the god of gods. You can compare that with Daniel chapter 7. It talks about him there, the little horn. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed, for what has been determined must take place. He will show no regard for the gods of his ancestors or for the one desired by women. Nor will he regard any god, but will exalt himself above them all. The greatest of all idolaters is going to be the Antichrist. And listen to me. The greatest benefactor or the greatest, um, what's the word? The greatest uh, materialist of all time will be him. And here's another thing. There's a, it's coming up. And he will be a great lover. Remember, every nation has their military industrial complex. We do too. But guess what? He's going to love it. He's going to love weapons and warfare. He's going to be a, a, a connoisseur of this stuff. Look, at, go, keep, keep reading. Verse 38. Instead of them, he will honor a god of fortresses. Here we go, see? He will honor that. A god unknown to his ancestors. He will honor uh, with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He will attack the mightiest fortresses with the help of a foreign god, and he will greatly honor those who acknowledge him. You can just see using the media to, 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 to help, uh, help him out, giving them favors. He will make them, them rulers over many people and will distribute the land at a price. At that time, the end, at the end, the king of the south, in Egypt in context, will engage him in battle and the king of the north, that will be Syria, will storm out against him with chariots and a cavalry and a great fleet of ships. He will invade many countries and sweep through the land like a flood. He will also invade the beautiful land, Israel. 
Many countries will fall, but then it says, but Edom, Moab, and the leaders of Ammon will be delivered from his hand. They, these nations, Edom, Moab, and, and, and Ammon, they sit in the place called the kingdom of Jordan today. Okay? And it says Antichrist will extend his power. So they always see Edom's going to be a, a, a national entity. He will extend his power over many countries. Egypt will not escape. He will gain control of the treasures of gold and, uh, uh, and silver and all the riches of Egypt. Rich, Bible's telling us, so you want to go on a treasure hunt, go to Egypt, because they've they got a lot of wealth there, probably buried underneath the sands for all we know. And with the Libyans and the Cushites in submission. So notice there's going to be some pushback. The king of the north, which would be Syria today, would be, and her, 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 Syria and her satellites, or the nations around her, they would be what we call the kingdom of north today. They're going to be giving the Antichrist a hard time during the tribulation period. China's going to push back with the foreign armies from the east. They come over the Euphrates River, which will be dried out, dried up, and they're going to wage war in Jezreel against Israel uh, and, uh, and, uh, and Jesus Christ eventually. So it says in verse 44, but reports from the east, and that's the revelation talks about the, the armies from the far east led by China undoubtedly will come across the dried up Euphrates River and they'll come from the east and the north the king of the north will alarm him, and he will set out in a great rage, Antichrist will, to destroy and annihilate many. And he will pitch his royal tents between the seas at the beautiful holy mountain, yet he will come to his end, and no one will help him. And go now uh, to Isaiah. This is a cool passage. Look at Isaiah 63. Again, we're talking in the context of Edom during the, uh, the tribulation period and the second advent of Christ. Is Isaiah 63, 1. Isaiah chapter 63, verse 1. I love this passage. This is just amazing, okay? Who is this coming from Edom? Who is this coming from Edom? From Basra. Now, look at the map on the board. Here's Edom, and here's a nation called, here's a city called Basra. I'll circle it for you. There it is. Where the kingdom of Jordan sits today, this is telling us, this passage is going to tell us, Christ, I believe, is going to hit, go to the south of Israel and is going to take out this nation, these people down here. He's going to confront the Antichrist. Okay? I believe he's going to be down here. So, enough of that. Let's look, look back at the passage. Who is this coming from Edom, from Basra, with his garments stained crimson? Again, who is this coming from Edom, from Basra, with his garments stained crimson? Who is this robed in splendor, striding forward in the greatness of his strength? It is I proclaiming victory, mighty to save. Man, don't you want to just go to, I want to go fight and follow. Let's go, let's go, Lord. I'm ready. I mean, isn't it get you fired up? I don't know, it gets me fired up. I can't, I'm not even going to be a fire shot at that time. I'll be going, yeah, go, Lord, go. You know, like, uh. You know, like my, my dad was, uh, you know, uh, doing something. I was like, oh, yeah, go, Dad. And I was like, I'm too little to go do anything that he was doing. So I'd cheer him on. But proclaiming victory. Who's our king? Who's our, who are we in union with? Who's our savior? Who died on the cross and rose from the dead and is going to give us a resurrection body? At any minute now, it could happen. It's imminent. We'll be perfected. Never sin again. We'll get rewards for faithful service. We're his bride. He's our king. 
So what are the, so whatever trials and tribulations we have, we got the power of Christ in us. When we apply God's word, have faith in God's word, we're appropriating the mind of Christ, the power of God. And the same power that he's going to use to destroy nations that oppose him. Like Russia and China and Edom and Egypt. Okay? Rejoice. Be encouraged. Don't get down on the circumstances. Don't look at the, 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 uh, the circumstances of the world. Yes, it's the world's a mess because it's the devil's world. Of course, it's going to be a mess and we're all sinners. The place is filled with them. Okay? But it's not the end of the story. The future is yet to come. Best, the best is yet to come. And baby, won't you be fine? That's Frank Sinatra for some of you. Okay? There's this, this, this guy down in, uh, he's a historian. I, I meet him down at SIP. And we, I'll have a smoke a cigar and the and I'll have a uh, scotch with him. And he's a historian. He has, he's, he teaches at Harvard and also, um, oh, what is it, uh, Wake Forest. And he's a big, uh, uh, so we're talking about history. And he loves, and we're sitting there singing Frank Sinatra song. And, best is yet to go. and he put on the thing and we're like, you guys don't mind if we sing in Sinatra song? <laughs> Because we both like Sinatra. I like Dean better, but, you know, Frank's good too. But uh, so we just, uh, you know, that's where I get the best is yet to come. But look at it. The best is yet to come. This is going to be, whatever we're going through now, whatever's going trials and tribulations, this too shall pass. You know, I think about a year ago, you know, and it was like, well, the, last, the three years before I came here, it's like, Oh man, worst period of my life, you know, dealing with my mother. My mother's falling apart with dementia. My brother Kenny has cancer. My sister Linda, we thought we were going to lose her. My dad's got heart problems. He's got like about 50 stents in his heart. I mean, it's like one trials and tribulations after another. I had no congregation in front of me. I was like, oh, I'm just hanging on for dear life. Oh Lord, I don't know what I'm just, I used to call it at GBC, keep your head down. Just kept my head down. Um, you know, God's, let God, when he wants to deliver me, he can deliver me. But man, it got tough. I like to just trust God. And I knew, I kept telling myself, things will change. And then about a year ago, guess where I came to see all of you? Things change. A bad situation can change. And same with a good situation can change too. You know, what seems like, you know, you're in a bad situation, your circumstances, you're not where you want to be. And, you know, you, you know, I don't feel like God's using me. You get down a lot. It's like, you know, well, good that you want to be used by God. That he's just getting you ready. Okay? So just be patient and wait on God. Those who wait on God will, will, will renew their strength. Isaiah 40, okay? It's going to be all right, you know? And it, like with my situation, my mother did much better than she was. Of course, she's further along, but things changed. And it was a better circumstance. The crisis had passed. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to come here. So she's doing much better, and she's not crazy as she was before. We, they got the drug thing settled. You know, unfortunately, we lost Kenny, but Kenny's with the Lord now. That's the way it is. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. You know, I'll see him again. Perspective. Everything's about the way you think. You are what you think. Think doctrine. Think the Word of God, the thoughts of the Spirit. He wants you to think, to, to, to conform your mind. The devil's going to be saying, no, 
don't listen to Pastor Bill, which he's really saying, don't listen to, to the Holy Spirit. And don't listen to the Lord. Oh, don't listen to him. He's just giving you pie in the sky. It's, it, you know, that sounds great, but, you know, I, he doesn't know my situation. Oh, I don't have to know your situation. God knows your situation. Your situation's no, if, if he, I mean, the guy who could, the one who created the time out of space continuum, I think he can solve your problems and mine. In fact, I'll guarantee you, God says, I'm going to wipe all your problems off the face of the earth. You're going to be perfected. Part of our problem is we're sinners. We have a sin nature. We live in the devil's world. That's going to be taken away one day. One day. One day. When we're all perfected. And we're all we're presented by the, the Son to the Father in the third heaven. And, you know, Christ comes in with us. His bride. It's before we come back with Christ in the second heaven. You just look at past me, Pastor Bill. And I'll be, in a, I'll be actually looking much better than I am now. I might have here. And I'll be in a resurrection body. And you will too. And we'll go. And I'll say, and you're Bill, Pastor Bill, you were right. Here we are. Remember that? Yeah. Well, guess what? Pitch yourself. It's just exciting. We have a lot. This, you should be with a jumping, with a hop and a step to work tomorrow. And when you come out of here, it's a beautiful day. You're in union with Christ. You're going to reign with Christ. And look at he says in verse 2. Why, they ask him, why are your garments red like those of one treading the wine press? And he says, I have trodden the winepress alone. The bride, we're not doing any fighting. Christ is not going to let his bride do any fighting for him. He's going to do it. It's his time for retribution. They crucified him, the son of God. They crucified the creator. He wants some payback. He was giving them grace. Hey, Believe in me, and I'll, I, you, I died on the cross to say, experience the wrath of God so you wouldn't experience it, and just have to believe in me, and I will forgive you. But they don't want to do it, okay? You leave me no choice. I don't want to do this, but now I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to come down on you hard with the hammer. You're the nail, and I'm the hammer, God's saying. Right? So he's treading out the wine press alone. It's time for him to exercise his retribution and get some payback. I have trodden the winepress alone from the nations. No one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath and their blood spattered on my garments and I stained all my clothing. It was for me, for me, the day of vengeance, the year for me to redeem had come. And one of those nations he's coming to uh, destroy, not only the Antichrist, 10-nation European Confederacy and China and the armies of the Far East, but also Edom. And the prophecy in, in, in Isaac, in Obadiah, verse 18, will be fulfilled at the second advent. It says, I was appalled, Jesus says, I was appalled that no one gave support. So my own arm achieved salvation for me, and my own wrath sustained me. I trampled the nations in my anger. In my wrath, I made them drunk, drunk with his, the cup of his wrath, drinking the cup of his wrath, and poured their blood on the ground. It's chilling, but to me, because I'm, I'm going to be on the good side of Jesus, I'm behind him. I'm not going to be in front of him. I'll be behind him, and I'll be cheering him on, and I'll be like pra praising God. But uh, the people who are standing in front of him, they're in trouble. That's why you and I have to do what Jesus would want us to do, is tell people who are not in a relationship with him to trust in him, because the time of wrath is coming, and he's going to pour people's blood on the ground. He's going to execute Judgment against the world that hates him. There will be retribution for not only the nation of Israel, Obadiah teaches, 
but also for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time to study this tremendous passage in Obadiah 18. We pray it will be a blessing to your people and bringing glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ, and encouraging us all as we go forward in your plan to become like your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.